and welcome to the latest episode of It's Not to Oscars, It's D'Onofrio, the podcast about criminally underrated performances in modern cinema getting the recognition they deserve. Uh, it's been a minute since we've been here chatting with you guys, and like most things during 2020, um, our original plan for this episode didn't go to plan. So um, sit back and listen to this week's episode, which is going to go a little bit different than it normally does. But we'll explain. Enjoy. It must have been me. Uh, we're just setting ourselves up for success. Everybody's still rolling, right? Yes. Yes. Both, both re- rolling, recording, and rolling on um, stuff like this, right? Yeah, I'm on drugs. Okay, good. Uh, what were we just talking about? Oh, hey. what we're doing here? Yeah. Should, um, should we? I mean, th- the people listening to this in the moment, they probably have no idea what's going on. Should we say how long it's been in between the time of this recording and the other part of this episode? Yes. Yeah. How long has it been? Well, let, let me let me tell you what happened. It's been ninety-two years. <laughs> I, what is it in Interstellar? I waited years for you. Oh my god, Inception in space! I fucking hate that movie. Um, I, I still I own it and tried to watch it I've, three times. And each I've, time I made it to the same point. Was just like I fucking uh, love that movie purely for it's a space adventure with time travel, and it's got a and it's Hans Zimmer music. Like I don't give everything else in it is terrible, but I just love watching God. it for that. I like watching spaceships. Like, pick a lane, bro. That's how I feel about this movie. You know, it's also just, it's just so long. If this movie was like I don't know. Like, you don't want to watch Matthew McConaughey hit a a, a digital console and yell about his no, son. No, he's just like stuck in a book, He's like stuck in a bookshelf for forty five minutes. I hate it. That that part kind of irritated me when they went in that black hole. It was like, okay, here we go. This is an opportunity, and it's wasted. Mm. You know what I learned today? The second Harry Potter movie, arguably the worst harry potter installment in both the book and the film even though obviously thank you even though we've canceled jk rowling but you know still it's still a piece still a piece of my soul i feel like i've been alone on that but like hold please that movie like everybody knows two is trash the guess how long the runtime on that movie is four hours (laughs) feels like i'm gonna say two hours ten minutes okay Josh? Oh, I actually have to guess. Uh, two hours and nine minutes. Okay. This you're movie... A, you're that person that if you play Prices <laughs> Look, Right, you I, would uh... bet a fucking dollar or like bet right over top of somebody. You gained nothing from that. So this, what was it, Erica? This movie is two hours and 54 minutes long. Fuck. But still, that's uh, that's. It's intense. three hours oh long God. with the it's credits. three hours? Like with that the That whole... I think there's like 10 minutes of credits. It's it's just an episode of Scooby-Doo that doesn't end. It's one of the shorter... Well, okay, literally the first book is an episode of Scooby-Doo. They take off the guy's mask, and there's a bad guy under there. (laughs) However. 
Isn't that bonkers? Like, I think the runtime of the movie itself is, like, two hours and 40 minutes, and then all the credits and shit is, like, another 10 minutes. Isn't that fucking nuts? That shit, because it's like, there's no reason why... Oh, it's so... There's no reason why anything should go that long. It's so insane. The only exception to that rule is the uh, Avengers Endgame. Uh, And, um... That was incredible. Yeah. God. But that's, like, a good movie. This is not like, a good yeah. movie. What else? And has it's funny a three because hour my book. favorite one is also the longest book, but it's the shortest movie, Order of the Phoenix. Order of Phoenix is the longest book. It's is the it? longest book. I thought Half Blood. Yeah, it's the longest. Oh. Well, I put my I put mine in a box and put them in a closet so I can figure out if I'm ever parting with them or just hiding them in the closet like it's an episode of Watchmen. Um, Mine are in storage, but I talked to I talked to Kate actually about it, and she said that her trans students they treat the books as if they apparate it to them, and that there is no author, and that's how they separate the art from the artist. They're just like we use the magic against it, um, that, and that kind of made me hopeful. I was like, that's nice. That that's, that's mine a, are still going in storage though. Sienna's watching, I think, Goblet of Fire like as we speak, and that's kind of the stance that she's taking on it too. Um, like it just came to us. Yeah, it's what well, the Bible. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> Remember when we weren't going to go on tangents about yeah, other things? <laughs> it was inevitable. Um, Daniel Radcliffe released released a statement um, with, I think, Trevor Project, um, when um, when like she was really like on her turf role um, a few months back, and just was like, just because the creator is saying really hateful things, it doesn't mean that like you if like if you got something, if Harry Potter gave you something, you can still hang on to that. Yeah, I mean, but now that, like, in hindsight, it's like, how would, how, I don't know, the writing wasn't really on the wall for me, at least. I mean, it caught me off guard. But, like, I think about this, like, because, like, I, I used to be, like, a really big, like, Woody Allen fan until, like, I kind mm. of unfortunately had to learn about all that kind of after the fact. And I'm having a, li- I, I had a much easier time, like, making a clean break, break from that because, like, I, I can see his movies and just go, like, oh, this is very clearly, like, self-reflective and, like, a little autobiographical and, like, this just doesn't do anything for me anymore because I felt like that's why I like the movies where Harry Potter is, like, there's a lot in there that you can kind of, like, pro- like, I kind of what Daniel Radcliffe said, like, there's a lot you can take out of this that, like, doesn't have anything to do with you know, uh, the way that other people take things out of it. So, I don't know, like, a little trickier. So this actually might be a good segue into the movie that we're going to be talking about in this episode. Because Yes, thank you. The movie that we're talking about was directed by Brett Ratner, who... Um, Hell of a segue. Thank you. Thank you. Clean. Clean. I'm a professional. Um, you can clap if you want. Um, so... <laughs> This movie was directed by Brett Ratner, who has been, since been implicated in the Me Too movement. Um, so I think it, it kind of like goes along with um, like kind of like the conversation we're having on this podcast is do these movies hold up over time? But before we introduce this movie, um, I just want to um, 
give a listener note. Um, part of the reason there's been a little bit of delay in releasing episodes is that um, as we are a homegrown organization, um, we had a few technical difficulties. We lost a little audio. Um, so we are kind of re-recording the sentiment of the conversation that we had about this movie. Um, I will ask that you also bear with us because we watched and originally recorded this movie um, back in August. Um, and it is oh my god uh, October 20th. We are currently recording this. Um, the, the jig is up. We just let yeah, them right. know like we've been serving them old products <laughs> for weeks. Well, here we are. Um, <laughs> and yeah, uh, wow, it really is. It's okay. Get Goop is still cool. Uh, like, you also, we're that. still gonna serve y'all some more. Oh, that's so that's hilarious. Look, I will not apologize <laughs> for this pandemic activity. Um. So, uh, Anthony is up in this episode. So, Anthony, um, do you, you, you were assigned the year 1998. Yes. Do, would you like to yes. talk to us about the movie uh, that you chose? Yes. Um, just prior to saying this, I want to say I've tried to make it a point of always choosing an actor of color each time that I defend something just because, A, they need their flowers. B, a lot of their really awesome roles kind of go unnoticed. And C, that's just what the fuck I'm going to do. So I've been doing it for every single episode thus far. Um, the issue that I had with 98, there was just nothing that really jumped out as like, oh, like this is the thing that, you know, speaks to you and like, you know, like what we should like do something out of, blah, blah, blah. So um, I chose this movie because of i think the nostalgia that was associated with it and i still enjoyed a lot of it but it didn't hit the same as i thought that it was when i chose it and that is to say that the movie that i chose was rush hour (laughs) and the actor that i chose was jackie chan yes it was yes it was um i this is a movie anthony has a question he likes to ask which is like if there's a movie on tv and you're uh just jumped out of the shower and you're late to meet friends which you know ha but four times um you sit down on the couch without like getting dressed to watch the to watch a movie um this is a movie that would still today distract me if it was on tv because i've just seen it so many times and i have like an intense feeling of nostalgia for this movie yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I, I, I thought I thought you were gonna say that mom, and I didn't, and that kind of sucks. I like that movie, and it came out in '98, and I didn't realize that. I love that yeah. mom. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, someday. Yeah. Yeah. I I I got exposed to this movie a lot. Uh, I I actually have exposed myself to a lot of Jackie Chan over time. I'm a I'm a. I'm not quite of a, as big a fan of Jackie Chan as I am Bruce Lee. Like, I went for all of his movies, pretty much. Uh, but you kind of can't go for those without hitting some Jackie Chans along the way. And I hit most of those later on in my life. So I've got a good amount of movies of his under my belt kind of walking into this one. And Rush Hour probably wasn't the most frequented one out of that. But definitely the one 
that showed up the most when it was like a group of people like it's just a crowd pleaser like it's it's rush hour like we all yeah i have a distinct memory of it coming up when you know i was a kid and if it shows up when i'm at my parents house that seems to get watched like if it's like a saturday on a holiday like oh let's watch let's watch rush hour yeah it's like on tbs um yeah i I feel you on that josh um so what we normally do at this time is we run through our five categories of how we kind of judge these movies and whichever um uh host has chosen the movie for that week they give us a rundown and then the other two um judge their uh their argument and um we we score we score their argument on a scale of one to ten um however since we've lost the audio and um our wills to go on um we are gonna do things a little bit differently tonight um so uh anthony what we're gonna have you do is uh give us a brief recap of the movie and talk to us a little bit about why you nominated this jackie chan performance um and then Josh and I will talk a little bit to our experience of, of uh, why we um, agree or, or disagree with that analysis. For sure. So, uh, reason why I chose it, uh, I mentioned this earlier, but the nostalgia was a huge, huge part of it because, um, yeah, I remember it being like a really fun movie that I, I loved watching as a kid and that like, you know, Similar to what Erica said, if it was on TV, I'm going to watch at least, like, you know, a couple of minutes of it before I go do whatever I was supposed to be doing next. Um, But I also thought that it was something that I kind of took for granted that, you know, Jackie Chan's doing all of his own stunts, that he's 100% committed to, like, this entire role. And also, like, you know, it was this big, like, crossover movie. It was supposed to, like, you know, if you weren't familiar with him before from, you know, like all of like, you know, his dubbed pictures that made their way over here. This was supposed to be like the one that made him a household name, which it did. Um, and for that, I was like, this is something that I kind of want to revisit and, you know, wanted to, to nominate so that Jackie could get his flowers for his first major U.S. box office hit. Um, fair, what's, fair. what's this movie about in your words? This movie is about a, uh, uh, for for lack of better words, a fish-out-of-water, buddy-cop, situational action comedy where Jackie Chan has come over to the United States to help find the daughter of the Chinese consul who currently lives in L.A., Um, and they don't take him seriously at all because the LAPD is all over the case. So they find the, the, the worst LAPD officer of all time and Chris Tucker and they pair him with Jackie Chan to basically babysit him and lo and behold, who would have thunk it, these two crack the case before the LAPD is able to successfully do so. Hijinks ensue, but it's one of it's it's fantastic. It's it's still really, really funny, like all jokes aside. Um so yeah, yeah, they have. They, that's what the movie's about. They have an incredible chemistry together, the two of them. They're so fun oh to watch God. together. Well, I'm wondering. I don't know how a lot of the history of how this movie was made, but I almost like just watching the movie. Like, think like, 
did they just know that they wanted to put these two people together and then they found a way to do that in like making a script or did it happen the other way around because it feels like this whole movie is predicated on their chemistry um so right after money talks is how he kind of booked this one because it's also with new line and they just had like you know like this nice thing going with him mm-hmm. so chris tucker i mean yeah, um yeah, yeah. how how he got involved directly with jackie chan and like why like they, i don't know if they got paired together for a reason but I know Brett Ratner was adamant about filming the movie that would make him a crossover star. And I guess he just plucked Chris Tucker and was like, and you're going to do it with me because they worked together previously. That's what I think. So I don't know if it was so much of like, a, oh, like I know the perfect situation for these two to be together as much as it was just like, I'm going to make a lot of money by putting this bankable comedic person up with this bankable action yeah. star and this shit better work. So Martin Lawrence was actually originally attached to this movie in the mm. Chris Tucker oh. Which also I think could have been fun, but just like a, I, a I really different, that. really different. Uh, yeah, that would have been a very different energy. Yeah. Jackie Chan was on an episode of Martin, now that I'm thinking about it. Huh. Yeah, like, he makes like a quick appearance, like he knocks on his door, and like I, I yeah, think, it's like a cameo. Basically, I think Martin Lawrence could have been fun. Could have been really fun to watch in this. Um, but Chris, the, I just love Chris Tucker's like frenetic energy. Oh yeah, like against like Jackie Chan, who's very like confident and like kind of like a little bit more laid back. It's so good. He was so cool in it, like. To me, like, that was, like, the coolest thing in the 90s. Like, we had, like, comedians who were really funny, but, like, they were also, like, the coolest people on the planet. And, yeah, like, that was just dope. Like, I thought he was, like, the coolest dude after I saw this shit. Like, I loved Chris Tucker from this movie on. Um, My God, and, yeah. And, and, yeah. And then Jackie Chan, too, like, I mean, this was probably the first movie I ever saw him in. Um, and I admittedly have really only seen his American movies. I have a soft spot for the tuxedo. Um, I what, what was your familiarity with him, Anthony? What, prior to Rush Hour? Yeah. Absolutely none. That was it. Like, I had seen... Actually, I take that back. I had seen Mr. Nice Guy. Um, I had seen... Uh, bits and pieces of Drunken Master, and there was another one. Um, I think it's like a Rumble in the Bronx. Is what Rumble in the Bronx? Yeah, yeah. So I had seen those. I had seen those two and like bits and pieces of the third. But like this was like the the thing that like really cemented him in my mind as like somebody that I really enjoyed watching. I couldn't really tell you much about the plot of Mister Nice Guy now. And Rumble in the Bronx, I remember a lot of the action in it, but not so much the 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 plot. Yeah. Um. And Josh, you have you're kind of opposite, right? Well, I mean, I it's been a while since I've seen a lot of those movies, and quite similarly to Anthony's experience with that one, the real takeaway from Jackie Chan's movies is his prowess on screen as a comedic uh martial arts expert because there's really no one else on earth that does what he does um 
and I, you know, I'm not an expert on it, but he's got a, he's, he's, I mean, he's a very fascinating, you know, person just in terms of movie history, because he starts very close, like his whole career starts very closely to, you know, Bruce Lee in his heyday, where he was doing like films in the, um, you know, in China at the time that were getting a little bit of, uh, recognition, but, uh, he got approached to essentially do a movie that um was very much in the style of bruce lee and for anybody that hasn't really seen like a bruce lee like movie it's it's they're serious movies like they're very like it's about an individual that has this like very extreme prowess but also a very different martial arts style uh than what jackie chan has like bruce lee is very much into oh god i'm forgetting the names of them now but um it's mixed martial arts um What's the main one? Fuck, I knew it the last time we recorded this. You did. Uh, I know. Joe Rogan is listening to this and going like, what a fucking idiot. You can't remember this, 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 and this. Uh, But uh, he couldn't do it. Like, he couldn't do Bruce Lee's style very well. It didn't look good. Uh, But then he started developing his own movies. He did, you know, the Chinese release of The Legend of Drunken Master uh, Young Master, which is, I think, one of his best movies. But they really showcased his uh prowess in doing both comedy and extreme stunts at the same time and he came to the u.s he started dipping into the market he did he did a police story i think those were his first ones they did okay his first big hit was uh rumble in the bronx and then it was what uh legend of drunken master the american version and super cop and then this came along um so all this to say He's he's done a lot. He's a pro at this. Uh, whether or not th- I think this is his kind of his best performance or one that kind of like highlights what he does best is kind of yet to be seen in our conversation. But at least that's that's a little bit of the history of uh, of Jackie Chan. Besides for him doing all of his own stunts and all that stuff. And Anthony, I know the stunt work had a lot to do with your nomination. Um, do you want to talk to, through some of the reasons you nominated him? Yeah, the stunt work was a big part of it. Uh, obviously, like, you know, I had never seen anything like that before. Um, in juxtaposition with, like, you know, somebody that's, like, you know, giving you, like, all the comedic stuff with Chris Tucker. But also, I remember just, like, how well he handled, like, you know, the comedic elements as well. And it's like, oh, like, you know, like you're you're jumping back and forth between doing like these crazy, insane stunts and having like, you know, this really awesome comedic timing too. Um, I don't know. It felt like watching it's almost like watching a musical, but it's like instead of like getting like a musical sequence with like dance, you just get Jackie Chan doing something <laughs> ridiculous for like two minutes. That's well and I was like, yeah, like I mean, that's basically it. It's like you're watching the movie for like the moment when the score is going to get crazy and Jackie Chan is going to like whoop a lot of ass and jump off of like tables and like do some crazy stuff. And then eventually we'll find peace and like, he'll stop being super Saiyan so that we can like have some more dialogue. But that was the first time that I'd ever seen a movie like that, that I really enjoyed that got that so right. And there are so many movies that I feel like from then on, like try to like snatch it and like, you know, either do it similarly with Jackie Chan or do something similarly with, two buddies like you know like playing like you know like the same type of like you know the blueprint characters but this one to me is like the prototype it's like this is the one that showed you how to make this work in a way that felt organic and fun and fresh and cool and yeah that's why i chose it 
There's nobody else that can do what he does. Yeah, I think about that scene, um, like, in the outtakes where he, like, slides under the bars in that window. Um, I think about that a lot. <laughs> he, he just has this, um, and it comes from the styles of martial arts that he knows and just being, like, an acrobat, but, like, he uses space and objects, like... Like, one of his early inspirations is, like, Buster Keaton, which, like, kind of makes sense because it's all black and white physical comedy and just using, like, kind of bizarre things to kind of, like, tell the story through. And, like, in this movie, doesn't he, like, fight with a steering wheel or, like... Yeah. Or, he and, he like, rips a, it off while it's handcuffed on. Yeah, God. Like, who would think of that <laughs> and be able to execute? Yeah, I mean, he's... He's it. Like, the this movie doesn't exist. Well, I think that this movie, ba- like, really balances on their relationship to each other. Um, and it's yeah. got some, like, other kind of fun elements to it, um, including a random Chris Penn cameo in the beginning. But, like, Tom Wilkinson is a really effective bad guy in this. Um, and yeah. you also have some some other actors in this movie that aren't were like sort of um like you recognize you know who these people are um the little girl is great uh um but you know the the movie works really well because of the chemistry of the two of them and honestly the buster keaton-ness of how jackie chan handles both the choreography and uh the verbiage even though i know buster keaton was a silent film star um work just works like there's it it could be no one else um yeah which i de- definitely proves one of our points right this he is the singular sensation in, the, in this regard mm-hmm. yeah definitely yeah i i can't think of anybody else that like even if you put like big names like jet lee in this like how could they handle the then you wouldn't put Chris Tucker in this movie. Right. Like that would be such a weird balancing act. I just don't think it I don't think it works with anybody else. Unless it's somebody that we don't know about that like would just been like that's his he's but, coming up onto this, but But like, you know, Americans didn't really know who Jackie Chan was at the time and now like he's definitely yeah. a household name, right? Um He had a cartoon on the WB. Really? That he didn't do the voice for, the Jackie Chan Adventures. That was such a good show. Oh my god. He was the executive producer and never did any of the dialogue. Somebody else voiced him. Wow. He just showed up at the top of like each episode and like did like a quick thing and that was it. He's like, Hi, I'm Jackie Chan. Remember this, kids. Alright, let's watch the show. He was Basically, in... yeah. Was he in Was did he play the Miyagi character in the Jaden Smith um Yes. Yeah. yeah, the new one. Yes, he did. Um interesting i haven't seen that i haven't i've just seen seen the trailer which is why i had to ask um (laughs) um, yeah it was on netflix for a really long time it's not bad Mm. um all right i'll i'll keep that in mind anthony Um, (laughs) it's probably on disney plus that's got to be a disney property right it's not a disney property really Mm -mm. josh are you using your karaoke mic again I just use it for the word wow. Okay. I was well, like, I, I, I was not trying to <laughs> chastise you. I was just curious. 
It sounded like a chastised tone, but I guess I shouldn't have jumped on you so quick. Yes, it was just for the word. <laughs> um, and, and, so this movie is also prolific for another reason that's kind of um, related to this pod is that the the release of Rush Hour inspired the creation of the website Rotten Tomatoes. Uh-huh. Yeah, we did talk about that. Uh, yeah, so the guy that founded and coded Rotten Tomatoes, basically when this movie was was about to be released, he coded this whole website in two weeks and included all of the reviews from Jackie Chan's um, uh, action films that had been released in China. Um mm-hmm. So, just so that they like because he wanted people to know about jackie chan and like who i this feel guy that was. yeah wow yeah i either i must have forgotten that from the first time we recorded this it's 10 years ago the whole genesis of um of of the website I hope they gave it a good. It's got like a ten percent on there. <laughs> um, it has a sixty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, but mm. I mean, he's not rating it, so. Um, yeah. So it's almost certified fresh. Yeah. <laughs> well, safe to, safe to say it does have its flaws. Uh, what? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, this movie is wildly racist in a number of ways. Um, okay. Also, there's no women in it. Um, <laughs> there's one, <laughs> a little girl, and some people that no, work at the, the partner. restaurant. Oh, the bomb, the bombs, the bomb specialist. Yeah, his partner. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we haven't watched it in like five months. <laughs> Y'all haven't watched it in five months. I watched this joint like two weeks ago for fun. No, I think that We're proves good. the point, though, right? Like, this is an enjoyable movie to watch. Um, if you're asking the guy that started Rotten Tomatoes, I think he would give this a D'Onofrio. Um, I do want to take the time to play something that Josh said when we originally recorded this episode. But before I do that, Anthony, do you have anything else you would like to tell us about why you chose this performance? Um, man, I wish that I had something more poignant to say. I hope I you're not that. thinking that what you said originally wasn't. Um, I don't remember what I said the first time, to be totally honest. Um, and we'll never know because now it's just gone. Um, no, I think the only other thing to say is just that I feel like as as often as we look back at a lot of these movies in the '90s and like we can critique and like you know say like oh like this is bad, this is terrible, this thing wasn't good, and there's a couple of those in this one too. It's still one of those movies where I'm like, the gold in it is still really, really good. And for that, I very much stand by the nomination. Because not a lot of things that we've watched for this podcast have held up. If, like, many at all. Yeah. I think that's... I think that's nicely put. Um, So, we're going to play now for you... um, just a few things Josh had to say about so when we originally recorded we kind of went through and we had given these scores and could kind of tell Josh was not feeling uh Josh correct me if I'm wrong but just not comfortable because I think you had felt like you had had to inflate your scores a little bit because you love Jackie Chan so much yeah I'm not gonna correct you okay 
So um, that brought us to kind of like a big philosophical conversation about actually how we score these movies and what are we really looking at here. Um, so I would like to play you a little bit right now um, of a really eloquent argument Josh made about how we talk about these films. So I'll take, you know what, I'll take into account that because of how Anthony was kind of thinking about this, uh, you know, I'll, I'll also kind of think about this in the context of more of his United States releases and not including his uh, his previous uh, films international internationally. And I I so if I'm looking at the work that he's done in the U.S. versus this film, there's a big difference in terms of how palatable it is and how a kind of how well it did in the box office. But I do not really see much in this movie that um, is that different from really the, like like any of the, like the Hollywood movies that he's done uh, previous to this. Because most of those movies that he was coming into the US, those weren't dubs. He was doing them in English. Uh, and he was still you know, he was still working through the comedy. He was still doing his, uh, still doing his Buster Keaton mixed with martial arts stuff incredibly well. In fact, you could say that, yeah, I, I would say that like, if anything, and I've already said it before, that it highlighted it more. Um, but this is, this is just the one where it got in front of the most eyeballs and it, it had a really, really strong, you know, lead alongside him too. So I did not see this as an unexpected one. I honestly don't even see it as his strongest one. Um, but I think Drunken Master, honestly. I think Drunken Master is, strong, is the strongest one because he has to deal with more layers in that one because he's dealing with being, like, kind of trying to rise up with, like, his family, like, kind of disparaging who he is because the whole thing is that he's, he's like a drunk and he's kind of like good at this thing but it's also destroying him so you actually see him kind of struggle with something internally which you don't get a lot of that in this movie it's all very like this is this guy and he cares about this girl so he's gonna do the things to make it good where he he he, he had a little it was a little bit more three-dimensional like he, he had a little bit more of a story arc um, and it highlighted his martial arts in two degrees, which was, which I think is harder in that one because it's him doing his style of martial arts and then his style of martial arts again, where he's doing it drunk, which is very different and looks completely different. So it's, he's almost doing two forms of his own work in that movie. And that's why, that's why specifically you're asking me what piece of work I think would be on top of this that's the one that I think first. Oh, wow. I did give that argument eloquently. Um, you did, Josh. Great job. This kind of really changed the way we've been talking about doing this going forward, this whole conversation. I think we all really, what we've netted out on is that we want to be judging the performances, but also how we each argue the performances and come to the table every week. So uh, how the math ended up shaking out, I gave this performance a grand total of 39 points. Josh gave it a total of 28 points, which 
ended up shaking out to 67 points total, which didn't meet our threshold of 70 points. So this 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 performance didn't win a D'Onofrio for us. Um, Anthony, how did you feel about that? Um, I disagree still with why it didn't win. Um, that's my answer. I still disagree with it. I'm fine with it. Like, it doesn't bother me. But I still disagree with the fact that it didn't win. That's fair. But I do think that it opened up for a good conversation about how we grade things and scored in the future. Because ultimately, it's like the points don't matter. Um, it really kind of comes down to, like, it being a yes or a no of, like, does this thing deserve this fake award or does it you know just kind of go back into the five dollar dvd bin and to me it's like even if we're looking at it even like that way i'm like it still wins yeah i mean i respect the decision all, all things aside from the award i mean this movie i mean it it started imdb and now it's changed the the way that we do this podcast this is just like a movie that's just a game changer Rotten Tomatoes, not IMDb. Oh, that's what I meant. Fuck. Just edit me in saying uh, Rotten Tomatoes yeah. over... Uh, here we go. Here's the clip. Rotten Tomatoes. Just edit that over uh, IMDb. I'm not trying to give you extra work. I'm not doing uh, that. And then play it in reverse. I'm absolutely not doing that. <laughs> uh, I feel I feel you, Anthony. I You know, I, I probably... If I wasn't coming in with such a, an understanding of what he'd already done, I'd probably feel differently, but it's not how it happened. We did not end up giving this movie the D'Onofrio. Um, I think we still have some feelings about it, but that's okay because we're going to record more podcasts in real time. Um, anything else you guys have to say about this before we close out? Jackie Chan forever. Jackie Chan forever. Jackie I can Chan agree with you on that, Anthony. Forever. I'm in I'm in that club too. All right. Well, I think that's our show for this week. Um next we week we are gonna be back to our regular format and we will be talking about a movie of Josh's choosing from the year nineteen ninety-five. All right, so thank you for listening to this groundbreaking episode of Not to Oscars. We will be back with our normal format next week. In the meantime, if you'd like to email us a suggestion, you can email us at getmesugarwater at gmail.com. And as always, don't forget to follow us at NotToOscars on both Instagram and Twitter. And you can also follow us on Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify uh, to learn when the latest episode has been released. Thanks all. Be safe and have a great week.